Thank you, Elder Terry. Beautiful remembrance there. How many people remember his searing text from last Sabbath? Anybody remember that? The one said, He's, this is burned into my mind. Oh, thank you, Donald. It was, if I remember right, if I remember right, it was John 14, 1 to 3, one of my favorite ones. Uh, and thank you, Tracy, for the story, children's story. You can always depend on when Tracy has a story, it's going to be, it's going to be entertaining. <laughs> it's going to be good. Uh, boy, now I need Bob to come up here and help me with my... Ah, come on here now. All right. Good morning, saints. And we want to welcome everyone who's tuned in, whether it's on uh, TV or on uh, internet or however. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, this morning, as we open your word, Lord, may your Holy Spirit speak through me. Put me out of the picture, Lord. Oh, Lord, we need, we need your message from on high. At least I do. And Lord, I pray that you will just anoint me, anoint my lips, so that I speak not mine, but yours. We thank you, we praise you, we love you. In your name we pray, amen. <clears throat> I was praying all week that my voice would, ever since my wife and I had the COVID, we, my voice has taken spells of, <clears throat> Ever any of you have had that? Thanks to Curtis and Dara, they gave me a cough drop a while ago, and that helped. Pardon me. Those of you here today and those watching, <clears throat> who can say, I am saved? Raise your hand. Don't be afraid. Come on. Oh, amen, amen. Okay, how long are we saved? Some people say once saved, always saved. Well, I don't think so. You know what that does? It takes away your free will, right? What if the pleasures of this world for the moment are more important to me than going to heaven. I hope that never is in any of our minds. 
But God would never take that will away from us, would he? Are we saved for this minute? <laughs> Are we saved for today or from till next Sabbath? Or how about till my birthday? <laughs> I got a birthday coming this week and so does my wife. So am I saved until, are we saved until our birthdays? Or are we saved until the end of time? Every day we should go to the Lord, right? Every day. Well, we can stay saved, can't we? How do we do that? And why is it so important at this time? And where did this remnant movement come from? This remnant movement that we are all here because of that, right? Most churches, they go to church tomorrow. But this remnant church, we call it a remnant. Why? Because it was raised up towards the end of this world's history. Folks, we're approaching the second coming of Christ. Amen? Hallelujah, Hallelujah Bob. <laughs> we're, that's why they call it the remnant. I remember when I was a little kid going to J.C. Penney's with my grandma when they were having a remnant sale. Uh, Grandma, what's a remnant sale? What was what, material? Oh. I said, well, why is it different than their other material? Well, this is pieces at the end, and sometimes we can get some really good stuff. And I said, well, okay. I wasn't, that didn't make that much difference to me. I just like going to town. And I won't go into going to town by myself. We did that once already. We talked about that. <clears throat> we claim to be the remnant church. And I say that in peace, this in church is the good one. Not necessarily us in here. <laughs> I'm not saying that I'm a good one. How about the rest of you? No, we need the Lord. But the church is the right, the movement is the right one, right? How do we know? Because the word says, it tells us so, right? How do I know? Because my Bible tells me so. Where did this church start? Well, I'm going to do a little sidebar here. In the first part of the 1800s, why people realized, some people started realizing that there was a text that was in Daniel and said, and for 2,300 days, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. 
Now in prophecy, for those of you who are not familiar with this, a day equals a year. And we're not going to go into the studying of when it began and everything, but it, they finally figured out, at first they thought it was going to end in 1843 because of when it started, 457 B.C. <clears throat> but they forgot that there is no year zero. And so they were off one year, but then they realized it was 1844, and they had the date right, 1844, October 22 of 1844. And there were thousands of people all over the world looking for, they thought this meant the Lord was coming. Under 1844, Jesus is coming back. People like William Miller, and then he got others. I'm not going to go into all of the ones that were into it, but there was people in other countries, in other continents, that discovered at the same time this. And they were raising up groups of people, all rejoicing, the Lord is going to come. October 22 came, oh, praise God. This is the day, folks, we're going home. The sun came up, and they were standing out there, looking, looking for that, that little cloud the size of a man's hand, coming, supposed to be coming from the east, waiting and waiting, and afternoon, well, he's, he's waiting till the evening, right? Evening came, and some believed that, well, maybe it's at midnight. Because he said, the midnight cry. Yeah, thank you, Bob. Some waited all night, and the sun came up the next morning. Christ hadn't come. Had they been wrong? Absolutely not. And yet, absolutely, yes. They had been wrong on the place. But they were absolutely right on the event and the date. Hiram Edson, they were praying, and he was walking through his cornfield. They were going to go over to another place and have prayer. And all of a sudden, he looked up and... Christ must have shown him a vision and he see, sees Christ going in the heavenly sanctuary. Oh, praise God. Wow. Christ was going into the holy of holies or the most holy. Wow. We had it right. We had it right. We were just, we had the wrong place. And they went back and started studying. And nowhere in the Bible is the earth, this earth, referred to as a sanctuary. Oh, yeah, they have these sanctuary cities now and all that. But this isn't the sanctuary of God. No. 
The ones that were built here back the tabernacle in the wilderness, the Solomon's, what we call Solomon's temple, all of those were, they were just replicas of the one in heaven. Wow. Okay. Well, now how do we get this thing to stay on? I guess I need to start moving around more, huh? So, they started studying and they discovered, they discovered the sanctuary and then they discovered in Revelation, because they had been studying Revelation, chapter 14 and verse 6. And this is the start of the three angels, what we call the three angels' message. Now, we're going to study the first angel. We will get maybe later on to the others. And most of the saints know this, right? You know the three angels' message. Three angels broadcasting network. We have everything, three angels. We are the only I say we, this remnant movement is the only church that I know of that preaches the significance of the three angels' message. What is so significant about that? Well, remember when they were looking for Christ to come? October 22? How many Seventh-day Adventists were there? There wasn't any. There wasn't no, there wasn't any Seventh-day Adventists. These were all Sunday-keeping people. Good people, good Christians, but they were Methodist, Baptist, Presbyterian, all kinds. They, were, they were, became Adventists because what is an Adventist? One looking for that second coming of the Savior. Well, then they started saying the sanctuary. They found the three angels' message. <clears throat> Let's read that. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven. What is the, what's the meaning of an angel in prophecy? Messenger. messenger. Thank you, Bob. A messenger. Having the everlasting gospel. What's the everlasting gospel? This is the gospel of Christ and, and uh, salvation on the cross, by the cross, pardon me. To what? To preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. You know, when the first time I ever heard this, I thought, well, that's the same thing that Jesus said in his commission. One of the last things he told the uh, disciples before he was ascended back to heaven was what? Go and preach the gospel to all the world. Make disciples. You start out at Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world, the old King James Version, the uttermost parts of the earth. That's the same as Every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, isn't it? So, this is important.
That's for us today then, isn't it? Just the same as it was for the disciples 2,000 years ago, it's important for us today to continue this, this remnant movement. And why do I call it, I keep saying a remnant movement, why do I call it that? Because it came after the great tribulation of the 1260 days, and we won't go into all that, but that ended in 1798, started in 538, and the, the saints were tortured, put to death. But after that, this remnant movement was raised up. And so we have our remnant movement saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth the sea and the springs of water. Boy, that last phrase, what does that remind you of? Worship him who made heaven and earth. It's the very reason that we're worshiping on this day. It's from the fourth commandment. Wow. Some people say that was done away with. Oh, well, I'm not going to go into that right now. I'm getting ahead of myself. But the study of the sanctuary and the Sabbath, there's four things that distinguish this remnant movement. One is the Sabbath. One is what happens when we die. What, what do we do when we die? What did Jesus call it? Sleep. Sleep. Why? Because he's the master of that. He can, he raised people up. He's going to, and those that are sleeping, are going to, that are going to heaven are going to be raised up when he comes back. Okay? <laughs> Hallelujah, Bob. The state of the dead, worldwide, okay, worldwide gospel, that's the third. We got the Sabbath. The, uh, what happens when we die? The world, worldwide gospel and the judgment. Oh, no. Anybody here ever have a ticket? <laughs> I can raise my hand a bunch of times, <laughs> unfortunately. You go to court, and there's a judgment made by the judge. Some people say, why do you guys talk about this judgment? It's something that, well, it's right there. The hour of his judgment has come. When was that? 1844, October 22, when Jesus went into that second compartment, the judgment started. Oh, no, man, what do I do now? Go to church, pay my tithe, offering. I'm kind to people, but I still make mistakes. Wow. 
People say, well, no, there's not really a judgment. If you just believe in Jesus, why well, you'll be all right. Well, folks, the devils believe and they tremble. And they know the scriptures probably better than any of us. They don't go by them. They, they don't pay any attention to them except that they know them and they tremble. All right. Psalms 119, 160. And every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. David said that, what? 4,000 years ago, or 3,000 years ago? 2,500 20, years, anyway, long before Christ came. Paul said it in Acts, I believe it's uh, 24, verse 25. He said, the judgment to come. He was looking forward to it too. So he realized that it wasn't yet, it, but it was something that was going to come. All right, so it's here. So what do we do now? Okay, let's examine ourselves. Let's go first. What are some of the things, that, some of the standards that we have to live up to? John 14, 15. If you want, you can say it with me. If you love me, keep my commandments. Now, I like to say, if you love me, thinking of Jesus, if you love me, keep my promises to you. Because if you keep these commandments, they are promises of freedom. They're promises of, of what you can do for enjoyment. If everybody kept the commandments, would we need, they're saying we need to defund the police. Folks, no. If everybody kept the commandments though, we could, we wouldn't have any police. They'd all be sitting there in church, right? We wouldn't need any armies because there wouldn't be wars. But now, folks, I'm talking about what it's going to be like in this, the earth made new. Well, they're too binding, you hear some Christians say. Or that was nailed to the cross. I got you there, Ron. It was nailed to the cross. Eh? No. What was nailed to the cross? Our, our Lord was nailed to the cross because he was the ultimate sacrifice. He was the sacrifice for our sins. The sacrificial law. And all those ordinances that Paul talks about in Colossians there. The ones that were stuck down in the side of the ark where the precious commandments were down underneath the mercy seat. Inside the ark, written on stone by the finger of the Lord. Boy, I'd love to have seen that, wouldn't it? 
I've seen etchings in stone. You see, go to, go to a graveyard or someplace like that, and you'll see these stone monuments and etchings in there. But that ain't by somebody's finger. No, this was written in stone by the Lord, showing the permanency of, the, of his precious law. Okay, I'm getting sidetracked here. I'm going to tell a little story. In the old days on the shores of the Mississippi, there was a slave auction block. Abraham Lincoln stood nearby one day and he watched the tears flow and saw the heartache and the pain of the separation, families torn apart when the father was sold and the mother and the kids sold by over here. He clenched his fist and said, if I ever get a chance to hit this, I'll hit it, and I'll hit it hard. And he did. Amen. He signed the Emancipation Proclamation with his own hand. And it went into effect. Donna and I spent couple days up there in Springfield a while back, going through the museum. If you've never done that, that is a neat thing to do. Uh, anyway, getting sidetracked here. That Emancipation Proclamation went into effect while the war was still on. I believe it was January 1. I think it was, I know it was on January 1 when it went into effect. I think it was 1863. And that meant that all of the slaves were then free. Now, the war wasn't over yet. But anyway, I want to tell you about, this is before the emancipation. Old Joe, a slave, was on the auction block. He had seen too much, and he began to mutter under his breath, I won't work. I won't work. And he got louder. I won't work. <laughs> Some of the bidders heard him, and the bidding fell off. But one man continued, and he paid good money for a slave that wouldn't work. After the auction, he led Joe over to the carriage. They drove out of town and down the road to, toward the plantation. And there by a little lake was a bungalow. It had curtains in the windows and some flowers out in front and cobblestones. <laughs> and the new master said, here's your new home, Joe. Joe could hardly believe it. Then he remembered and said, I won't work. The master replied, you don't have to work, Joe, because I bought you to set you free. Amen. I always liked that part. But that isn't the end of the story. Old Joe he fell to the master's feet and he said, Master, 
I'll serve you forever. He would work for him forever. Do whatever he wanted forever. Amen. Folks, pardon me. Think about Jesus. Now, this master paid a good price for old Joe. Jesus paid the highest price for us that heaven could pay. He gave his life a ransom for many. Matthew 20, 28. 1 John 5, 11. I love these texts here. And this is the testimony that God has given. Why did Jesus die on the cross? So that we could have a chance for eternal life. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is where? In the Son. Wow. I can have eternal life. There's no way that you can buy it, but you can have it through the Son. Eternal life. For who? For everyone. Everyone that wants it. God isn't going to force it on you. But if you want it, I had one of the most heartbreaking things, words that somebody could tell me. One time, a person I thought a lot of said, I don't know if I want to go to heaven. Oh, I can't even imagine that. There was times that I wasn't living. I knew I would, if Christ was to come or if I was to die that I wouldn't get, be able to go to heaven. But I still, I never did not want to be there. But now I have this promise. And what does it take? He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. So, if you don't want to go to heaven, all you got to do is ignore the Son, right? Wow. Well, so what do we have to do? I want eternal life. So I got to keep the commandments, right? What's that, April? Got to love God with all your heart. With all your mind, with all your soul. You got to invite Jesus into your heart. Adam and Eve had the choice, right? And they probably realized after the fall, they realized more than any other human being ever has the terrible 
awfulness of sin because they had had that perfect life and they had traded it when they ran off with another lover as I used to have a pastor said oh boy but so what do I do keep it I gotta love Jesus yes but I sin. All right, here is one of the most beautiful promises in the scripture. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now we know what faithful means. What does it mean to say he is just to forgive us our sins? Is there any sin that I can do that God can't forgive me for? There is no sin that I ask forgiveness of that God won't forgive me. Amen? Amen. All we have to do is, so, all we have to do is not sin. Well, I want to go on to this. Now, he is faithful. That means that every time that you have done wrong, you go to Christ and you say, Jesus, I did it again. And he says, you did what? Because once he forgives you, what does he do with your sins? He puts them in the bottom of the sea. And, he, and I'm going to get ahead of myself. You appear before the Father as if you had never sinned. Wow. You mean I can sit Now, Christ never sinned, Right. He lived his life here on earth and he's lived through eternity and he has never sinned. And I can stand before the Father right alongside Christ as if I had never sinned at that point. Man, the first time I heard that, I, wow, there is hope. Because, folks, I was raised in this, this wonderful message. But I had some things screwed up in my mind. I thought that you had to go, be good to go to heaven. I thought you had, to, you had to keep all the commandments. And then if you were kept, well, if you did about 80%, you were probably doing pretty good. And Jesus would make up the difference, Right? And maybe if you only did 70% and you prayed real hard, well, you'd still make it. But I finally gave up on that. Folks, never tell, you've heard me say this before maybe, never tell your children, if you want to go to heaven, you've got to be good. Yeah, we need to be good, but it's Jesus. It's all Jesus. It's 
I don't have to worry about 70, 80, even 50, even 10%. But why do I keep the commandments? Why did Jesus say, if you love me, keep my commandments? Now, my wife has never said to me, if you love me, you're going to be faithful to me. But why am I faithful to her? Because I better be. No. <laughs> because I love her. And that's what it is with Jesus. Yeah, my thing has quit me again. What am I doing wrong? Okay. All we have to do is not sin the rest of our lives and we're home free. Woo! Because what does 1 John 1, 9 said? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us so I'm perfect. I can stand before the Father as if I'd never sinned, right? What about after I get off my knees? And I go out and I get in the car and get on the freeway going to Marion. And some guy, I'm running along 73 miles an hour or something like that, maybe a little over the speed limit. Another guy, he, here comes a truck. He's passing me. And there's a car right behind him. And he gets right in with the front of my car and he cuts over the car, cuts over in my lane. Cuts me off, man. I end up almost in the ditch. Hey, you so-and-so, what are you trying to do, kill me? Of course, he can't hear me. He don't care, he's going to. Have I sinned? Did it already. So what's the problem here? Oh boy, what do I do? But we had the next verse after 1 John 1, 9, if you go, is 1 John 2, verse 1. My little children, these things I write to you. Now, this is important. He's saying, I'm writing to you right now so that you may not sin. But I would like to say, instead of and, I would like to say, but if anyone sins, but the Lord told him, say, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Oh, so when I'm standing there before the Father and Christ is standing beside me, and maybe I've sinned. Now this time I've sinned, right? I got my lawyer right here. I got the best lawyer in the universe. And he's also paid my fine. What is the penalty for sin? The wage of sin is death. And I didn't get that text in here, but the wages of sin is death. Now, what did we see back there on... <clears throat> Verse 11. Oh, I can go back to that, huh? Yeah. 
No? What did I do now? Well, anyway, that's all right, John. Uh, here it is. Yeah, there it is. Okay. Eternal life. This is the life. And this is a gift. There is no wage to be earned when it comes to eternal life. Now, why is it it seems so much easier to sin than it does to do what's right? It's easier to turn down the free gift and earn death. I'm not talking about the sleep that we'll probably all face. If, well, I don't know. I think the Lord's coming pretty quick. But for those that are sleeping in Christ, you know, that's a sleep, right? I'm talking about that second death. I don't want to, boy, I've, I've had the wages for that paid up in full too many times. But you know what? Christ can wipe them out with one prayer. Eternal life forever. Okay. No human being is righteous. What is that? What do I need here to be changed? No human being is righteous any longer than he has faith in God and maintains what? A vital connection with him. Well, so there is a way here, huh? The problem with so many people today is they're trying to do what is right in order to be a Christian. Now, they may say, well, I don't need to keep the fourth commandment but I'm doing what's right. Or I've got some loved ones. I've got one that says, me and the Lord are doing just fine. And he never goes to church. We all have loved ones like that, right? That aren't following the Lord. Oh, boy. The problem is that we try to be Christians and then, but we're doing what is right. Then Satan throws in a monkey wrench, right? <laughs> Here we go. If I remember, this was a text in one of our lessons a while back. I don't know, 1 Peter 1, 6. And there's other texts. For this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by what? Various trials. Boy, I think I'm doing pretty good, and then trials come along. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it tested by fire, may be found to praise honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. How many of you love Jesus? 
How many of you have seen him? I had the privilege here on Angel Lane one time. I told this once before, but I don't know. It wasn't a dream because I was sitting there studying on Sabbath morning. It was the first time I was back here four years ago. And all of a sudden, I, was, I wasn't intending to tell this. I told it once before, but it's so precious to me. I was sitting there <coughs> at the table, and I was studying. It was early Sabbath morning. And all of a sudden, I was outside. It was like I'd gone outside up there where just the grassy knoll and the uh, asphalt drive there and I'm on that and here comes Christ walking down the knoll and he walks up and he takes my hand and he says come walk with me and we go a little ways and he says wait here I've got to go I've got to do something for you and he walks off and I didn't see it but I knew he was going to the cross for me I'll never forget that. The first person I told it to was Donna. This is before we were married. And I couldn't hardly speak the words to tell her. And even now, it was so precious. I never even saw his face, but I knew it was Jesus. And I knew what he was doing. Somehow, I guess it was the Holy Spirit was speaking to me. And I will thank the Lord into eternity for that experience. It was so precious to me. How can I ever turn that down? How can I ever go back to the years that I was out in the world knowing this wonderful, precious gospel? And yet I had turned my back on it. Oh, Lord, thank you for the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. I'll get back here. I'm sorry, folks. I love that experience. But the trick is, and it's not a trick, what we need to do, folks, with trials, with tribulations, with bad things, things going on, I've got some family that it seems like they've been having our relatives, our kids. One thing right after another has been, the devil's been bringing it upon them. And they think, what is this? when's this ever going to stop? Why are you doing this? Satan, why are you doing it? And in a little while, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read something that we could have all read earlier in the helps for our Sabbath school lesson, I found out. But <laughs> it wasn't in the lesson part itself. But anyway, uh, don't get confused. But what do we do? We come to Christ. We call on him. Get on our knees. 
And what does Christ say? All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me, I will what? By no means cast out. Praise God. Amen. Doesn't make any difference how filthy I am with sin. I come to him and I say, Jesus, please forgive me. Accept this tarnished, ugly heart and clean it up with your precious blood that you shed at Calvary. Lord, you can do it, please, for me. And what does he say? My blood, no problem. But I still have some things to do, right? I want to read this here out of Desire of My second, I have two favorite books. They're both ones. One is Steps to Christ. The other is Desire of Ages. And then both is 1A and 1A, or there's no 1B. <laughs> I don't know. I love them both. Donna and I have been reading in, uh, we read in, in uh, Steps to Christ almost every day. We started this when we, before we ever met in person, on the phone. <clears throat> Every morning we would read a couple pages and have prayer out of Steps to Christ. Have no idea how many times we've read it. And I was doing this before, uh, before we met. But every time we go through it, we get something better. Desire of Ages is the same way. It's so beautiful. All true obedience comes from the heart. It was heart work with Christ. And if we consent, he will so identify himself with our thoughts and aims, so blend our hearts and minds into conformity to his will that when obeying him, we shall be but carrying out our own impulses. Amen. That's the kind of character that I want to have. When, when a temptation comes up, I don't have to stop and say, well, let me see. Let me pray about this. No, I already know what I should be doing because I've got the character of Christ. What imputed in me? Right? And let's go on here. The will refined and sanctified will find its highest delight in doing his service. When we know God, as it is our privilege to know him, our will will be a life of what? Continual obedience. Folks, we need, I'm going to pause right there for a minute. Before before probation closes, before Christ steps out of that holy of holies and said, it's done. We have to have the characters that, are, that can go through a day without sinning. Can we do that? I can't. But Christ can. 
See, Christ can. The will, refined and sanctified, will find its highest delight in doing his service. When we know God is, as it is our privilege to know him, our life will be a life of continual obedience through an appreciation of the character of Christ, through communion with God, sin will become hateful to us. I don't know how much time I have here, but I'm going to tell a little story. Our, our loved friend, C.A. Murray. I love C.A. You know, you can't help but love him. <laughs> um, you know, he's had plenty of health problems. Serious. He had open-heart surgery. You know what they do when you have open-heart surgery? They take a saw. Well, they cut in here, but then they get to that sternum. And they cut with that saw right through it. And then they open up your chest cavity. And then they take out your heart and do whatever they're going to do. And then they put it back and they wire that back together. And the doctor was telling Elder C.A. said, now, after the operation's all over and you come to, the first time you move, doesn't make any difference if you're a pastor or not, you're going to curse. Brother C.A. says, nope. He said, oh, the doctor said, oh, yes, you will. You'll have the hurt, worst pain you've ever had. Excruciating. You will curse. He says, nope, no, I won't. You know why? He loved Christ so much. He loves Christ so much that he was not going to dishonor the Lord by swearing. And I, and I would venture to say that he did not. I got to, <clears throat> pardon me. I want to thank everyone that prayed for me in the last couple of weeks. <clears throat> um, not only my preparation, but I've been having trouble with my voice, as I explained earlier. <clears throat> and it will, I don't care what Satan wants, we're going to finish this. Okay. What is Christ doing for us now? We talked about him going into that second compartment in the sanctuary in heaven. Hebrews 2.17, Therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make, what that big word, propitiation for the sins of the people. Christ didn't sin. 
So he himself didn't need a sacrifice for his sins, right? The sacrifice he made was for our sins, yours and mine. Remember, folks, if you had been the only one that ever sinned, Christ would have came and died for you. Isn't that a beautiful thought? He became our propitiation. What does that mean? He was willing to die for my sins. He was willing to take my place in that second death. Now, I talked about having the second death. A while back, I said that to somebody. He said, no, he didn't do that. Well, he has power over the first death. We're all going to come up out of that if we're one way or another. Everybody is going to live that second time. If you die now, I don't care whether you're following the Lord or not. You're going to come back to life either at his second coming or a thousand years later when he comes back that third time. See, but I want to be raised up. If I pass away, if the Lord doesn't see fit to keep me going until he comes in the next couple of years, why, I pray he will wake me up. And I have that assurance. Why? Because he has made the atonement or the sacrifice or paid the price, the wage for my sins. All right? And what is he doing? He's up in heaven right now to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. People say in some of these other churches, they say, well, we're under a new covenant. Well, yeah. We're under the covenant now with Christ's blood. We don't offer sacrifices. They're talking about some of these churches, uh, not, not the remnant church. Some of these other churches are talking about, oh, we've got to honor, we've got to bless Israel. We've got to go back and, and build that temple back in Jerusalem so that Christ can come back. Build the temple. For what? For sacrifices? That's blasphemy. Christ died for us. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of the sprinkling that speaks better things. Christ has his blood. He went back, ascended back to heaven, and he says, Father, here's my blood for the sins. That's better than any lambs that Abel offered or any of the thousands and thousands of sacrifices that were made before Christ came. Folks, what do we need to be able to Spend time with Jesus. 
We take Jesus into our hearts. We live out the... Where's my... You've probably read this before. The last time I was up here, I had this too. Christ object lesson. How do we get that precious robe of Christ's righteousness on us? When we submit ourselves to Christ, the heart is united with his heart. The will is merged in his will. The mind becomes one with his mind. The thoughts are brought into captivity to him and we live his life. This is what it means to be clothed with the garment of his righteousness. This is what it means to be able to stand before God as if we had never sinned. This is why we're granted that precious gift, that free gift of eternal life. When we take on the righteousness of Christ, oh, folks, precious promise, precious promise. And I'm going to skip over to the end of the third angel. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. What we've been talking about here this morning is this faith of Jesus, the righteousness of Jesus imputed into our lives. And then his righteousness, we live that life and he imparts his righteousness into us. And we have eternity with him. Cosmic great controversy that we don't see and sometimes forget is going on without ever ceasing. It will end when Christ comes back. The present conflict, I'm going to read something that I didn't, I don't have a slide on this because they just, I just stole it here after I had the slides already committed. I saw evil angels. This is, this is worth listening to. It's precious. It's by our inspired writer. I saw evil angels contending for souls and angels of God resisting them. The conflict was severe. Evil angels were crowded about, about them, corrupting the atmosphere with their poisonous influence and stupefying their sensibilities. Holy angels were anxiously watching these souls and were waiting to drive back Satan's host. But it is not the work of good angels to control minds against the will of the individual. Remember that we're all created with free will. We can choose one way or the other. If they yield to the enemy and make no effort to resist him, then the angels of God can do but little more than hold in check the host of Satan that they should not destroy. 
So all they're doing is they're protecting you from being done away with. But you can't destroy until further light be given to those in peril to move them to arouse and look to heaven for help. This is the good part. Jesus, well, not, wait a minute. Jesus will not commission holy angels to extricate those who make no effort to help themselves. So without calling on Christ, without calling on heaven, we won't get that help. But Satan sees he's in danger of losing one soul. He will exert himself to the utmost to keep that one. And when the individual is aroused to his danger and with distress and fervor looks to Jesus for strength, Satan fears he shall lose a captive. And he calls for a reinforcement of his angels to hedge in the poor soul and form a wall of darkness around him that heaven's light may not reach him. But if the one in danger perseveres and in helplessness and weakness cast himself upon the merits of the blood of Christ, Jesus listens to the earnest prayer of faith and sends a reinforcement of those angels which excel in strength Amen. to deliver him. This is going on unseen by us. This is going on, has been for 6,000 years. It's just about over, folks. It's just about over. Satan cannot endure to have his powerful rival appealed to for he fears and trembles before Christ's strength and majesty. Amen. Can I get an amen on that? He fears and trembles before Christ's strength and majesty. Satan, at one time the highest created being in the universe. At the sound of fervent prayer, Satan's whole host trembles. And when angels, all powerful and clothed with the armory of heaven, come to the help of the fainting, pursued soul, Satan and his host fall back, well knowing that their battle is lost. Thank you. There ought to be a whole bunch of hallelujahs there. Amen. Praise God. Yes. Christ's second coming will be the end. And the millennium after that will be the final end of all sin, all death, all degradation. All conflict will cease forever. Is it possible to have your name on the books of the remnant church and still not be one of the remnants? But for those who seek Jesus, he's always there. Amen. I want to learn how to know him better. Trust him more, don't you? I want to learn better how weak I am, even though sometimes I think I'm strong. I want him to pull all the rugs out from underneath me and to topple all my sandcastles 
so that I won't depend on anything apart from him, so that I might be totally and constantly surrendered to his grace. Would you want him to do the same for you? If so, would you stand with me at this time? How can we face this judgment in the end with confidence? That's what the whole business of this judgment is all about, the gospel of salvation by faith in Jesus alone. The robe of Christ's righteousness where we stand before God as if we had never sinned. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for the beautiful promises that you've given us. And Lord, we know that your promises are sure because not once have you ever said anything, prophesied anything, promised anything that didn't come true. And if we're willing to step in and say, Lord, come into my heart, live out your life in me, then you will take our lives and make them fit characters for the kingdom of God, fit to live in that new earth, to walk on the sea of glass. Oh, Lord, we thank you for your gospel, for your for your death on Calvary, for the blood that you shed, for the remission of our sins. Lord, if there's anyone here today who has never said or has maybe walked away and wanted to come back, would you raise your hand at this time? Lord, if there's anyone who wants to be able to stand beside Christ, say, this is my Savior. Then stand beside their loved ones. And when you come in the clouds of glory, look up and say, this is my God. Been waiting for him. He's going to save us. Would you please Give your heart to the Lord today. Lord, we thank you now for this precious sacrifice, propitiation that you made for us. I pray we'll all, without the loss of one, be ready when you come. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen and amen.